0: Let's take our Bibles this morning and open to 1 Kings chapter 17. This will be the second message on the life of Elijah as we have uh, uh, taken him as a study. Uh, The title of the message this morning, Learning to Trust God. The last time we just looked at verse 1 and what James had to say in chapter 5, and the title of that message was, Elijah, a man of prayer and boldness. Uh, So today, learning to trust God, we'll start in verse 2, Lord willing, we'll make it all the way through verse 16. Learning to trust God. After Elijah told Ahab that it wasn't going to rain, that there would be a drought in the land for three and a half years, God told him to go into hiding. A lack of rain would show that Baal, the god of rain, of productivity, had lost his power. And Jezebel was not going to be happy, nor her husband, Ahab. Jezebel had 450 prophets of Baal, 400 more prophets of the groves that the Bible says sat at her table. And Elijah probably would have wanted to stay out in the open. A man of prayer and boldness wants to do that. And sometimes that's what the way we feel. I'm just going to stand here, be a thorn in the side of Ahab, I'm going to live up to my name, Elijah, Jehovah is my God, and I'm going to let the whole world know about it. But God had other plans. Instead of staying in Samaria, he was to be obedient and go to a place called Cherith. God told him to go to that brook. And the next chapter, in 1 Kings 18, verse 10, we'll discover how Ahab tried to find Elijah. Obadiah was the one who met Elijah in chapter 18 and verse 10 and he says there's no nation or kingdom whither my Lord They talking about Ahab my Lord had not sent to seek thee and when they said he is not here He took an oath of the kingdom and nation that they found thee not in other words He made people swear with an oath that Elijah wasn't in their borders and during this time Obadiah hid 100 of the prophets of God in a cave and fed them to keep them alive. So it was a time of of, of great uh, threat. Elijah needed to be in a place of God's protection. He also needed to be in a place of God's provision. The drought and famine affected him as well as all the rest of the nation of Israel. And God led Elijah to these two specific places we'll look at today, the brook of Cherith and the city of Zarephath. And in both of these places, Elijah learned to trust God. Whatever you're going through in your life, whatever needs that you may have, uh, I think you can learn, I know that you can learn, as I can, from the life of Elijah, how God can be trusted. It might seem like things are running dry. It might seem like the world is against you. But our God has not changed and the God of Elijah is our God as well. He'll take care of you. We'll just divide the message into these two sections. First Elijah learned to trust God by the brook Cherith in verses two through seven. First of all there are instructions given. God gave Elijah directions on what to do next. We often, we always want that, don't we? Our wives know that, that's why they give them to us. And the Lord, verse 2, came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. Now, two weeks ago, I mentioned that the phrase, the word of the Lord, occurs 15 times in 1 Kings 17.1 to 2 Kings 2.25, the text that covers the life of Elijah. God's word was important to Elijah. It must be to us. God spoke to the people in the Old Testament in many different ways. He spoke in dreams and visions. He spoke through burning bushes. He even spoke through a donkey. But uh, in the New Testament times, God spoke, first of all, by angels. Mary and Joseph were told the news of Christ's birth. The shepherds were uh, heard the announcement from an angel. And he also spoke to us. His Son. There's a wonderful verse in Hebrews chapter 1 as it starts out the book in verse 1, God who at sundry times, many different times, in diverse manners, many different ways, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds. Today been very clear, we've looked at passages before that tell us that God speaks to us through his word. Everything you need to know to be saved, everything you need to know to live a godly life is found in the Bible. No one can say that God is unjust and that an eternal hell is unfair. He provided salvation. Don't reject his love. Don't reject Christ's payment for your sins on the cross. It's clearly taught in the word of God. We have that record. God's directions for you are as clear as they were for Elijah. Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This is no ordinary book. This is God's word for you you spend time reading it, he will guide you, and he will give you all that you need to do his will. God's instructions were perfect for what Elijah needed. He needed protection. Ahab was killing the prophets. Jezebel was as well. He needed solitude. Whom could he trust? Cherish was a place of solitude or hiding. He needed food and water. God's instructions were perfect for what Elijah needed. And as you go to God's word on a day-to-day basis, you will find exactly what you need. God will supply, God will give you guidance, give you direction, give you wisdom. His instructions to Elijah were precise. God often gives just enough information for you to act, for you to be obedient on that day. It's always helpful to have good instructions. If you drive on a long trip to a place that you've never been before, uh, you can memorize all the turns, but that can be a little difficult. Remember the old days when we had the map, and the atlas that was unfolded and never folded up correctly? And now, thank the Lord, we have GPS. I wanna know my next exit. I wanna know how many miles before that exit so I can be in the right lane. God gave Elijah turn-by-turn directions in verse 3. Eastward from here, he was in Samaria. Arrive at the brook Cherith. It's just before the Jordan. Now, here, a little bit, uh, what what does that mean before? Because he's going the other direction now. It's, It's measured from the east. That was the area where Elijah was from. Remember, last week we said in verse 1, Elisha was a Tishbite from Gilead that was the area east of Jordan, north of the Jabbok River. And that's he knew the area. And so he's to go onto the other side of the Jordan and wait there. And God gives just enough information for you to be obedient right now. He maps out just enough of our directions so that we have to have faith for tomorrow as well. Obedience today, knowing what he told us to do from his word, and then realizing I'm going to have to be in his word again tomorrow to know what steps to take. I love the song that was written by Norman Clayton, If We Could See Beyond Today. Norman Clayton was saved at the age of six. He became the church organist at the age of 12, and he wrote many hymns and and gospel songs. And in this song, verse 3, he said, If we could see, if we could know, we often say, but God, in love, a veil doth throw across the way. We cannot see what lies before, and so we cling to him the more. He leads us till this life is o'er, trust and obey. And so he gives directions on a day-to-day basis, and that's the same way he directs us. So we have instructions given. Next promise is made, verse 4. God told Elijah that he would provide for all of his needs when he was at Cherith. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. God promised two things, water and food. The word cherish, Cherith means a cutting place. A seasonal stream had cut through the rock and made its way down to the Jordan River, and that stream would be the supply of water that Elijah needed. And then food, food brought by ravens. There's an interesting verse in Job 38, verse 41, that tells us a little bit about ravens, that they are not prone to feeding their own young. It says, who provideth for the raven his food? When his young ones cry unto God, they wander for lack of meat. And I find it interesting that God chose ravens who neglect their own to take care of the prophet Elijah needed to be in a place where God told him to be I emphasize as I read the last word in verse four there I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there what if Elijah said you know I'm I'm comfortable where I am I'm not afraid of Ahab or Jezebel Uh, I'll stay here on the on the west of the Jordan but God said go there If you're not in the place where God has told you to be, you may miss the blessings that God intends you to have. Young person, you may be debating on whether to go to a a specific college or not. I believe God has a specific will in your life about that kind of thing. You might, in that college, be in a class that you needed to learn a lesson that God was going to use later on in your life. He might have a chapel message that he wants you to hear. He might have you sit at the same table as the one he wants you to marry. Trust him. Do you ask him where he wants you to go for work? A lot of times when a pastor moves from one church to another, as many do, people say, well, does he get more money there? If so, that was a wrong move. That was done in a wrong heart. But if you're in business and you get an offer somewhere else, you'll up and pack the family and you'll be there. Uh, Look into the churches that are in that area. Find one that you can join and be a part of. Pray that God will show you where he wants you to be when it comes to a job. The same is true with the church that God wants you to be a part of. Ask where he wants you to worship as you grow in a place where you can serve him. Make sure you are where God wants you to be, and be content there until he moves you on. Promises made. The fifth, or the third is in verse five, obedience. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. His immediate obedience is obvious in the text. In verse 2, it says the word of the Lord came unto him. Verse 5, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. (laughs) God will do great things through ordinary people who are obedient to him. Raymond Dillard wrote a commentary on the book of Elijah, or the, the life of Elijah, It's called Faith in the Face of Apostasy and in it he says all too often as Christians we tend to think that the work of God in our day is done by the great and powerful, the famous preachers, celebrities, and the influential wealthy. God does not look for fame but for faith, not wealth but willingness, not renown but reliance. The only pedigree needed to serve God in our world is his call to obedience. Elijah did what God told him to do, and may we do the same. The fourth point is promises realized, verse six. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. Uber Eats would be the title of that in a modern version. Some say these weren't really ravens, they weren't really birds. Uh, in the Hebrew language, the, the consonants are, are given, and the vowels are just points that are added to those consonants. And so the three letters are the same for raven and arabs. Uh, nyarab or nyoreb sound very close. And so people say, you know, birds don't do that. That's too miraculously. I think it must have been people that came and provided him food. Whenever people find something too miraculous in the Bible to believe, I'm even more persuaded that God did it just like the Bible says it. (laughs) Ravens are on every continent. They're ubiquitous. They're everywhere. They're carnivorous scavengers. They're portrayed in art and literature as birds that represent misfortune and death. Why did God use these birds that he created to provide for Elijah? I believe it shows that God can provide in in unlikely ways. Haven't you found that in your own life? I think this would be a good way for God to answer my need, and and he doesn't. And you scratch your head, and all of a sudden you look around, and he's, he's provided in such a better way than you could have ever imagined. It shows also that he's the one who provides. It shows that his provisions are consistent. They came and delivered bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. It shows his provisions are always sufficient. He provides exactly what we need. We come now to verse 7. And what, a, what a, an interesting verse. He's there doing what God had called him to do, obeying the directions that God had given him, and the brook dries up. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. God told Elijah to go to that exact spot. Why would it dry up? He'd provided everything that Elijah needed. Consider this as you read verse 7. The drought was in direct answer to Elijah's prayer. He prayed that it wouldn't rain. What's going to happen when it doesn't rain? Brooks dry up. God stopped the rain. The Lord has a wonderful lesson for Elijah that's also a wonderful lesson for us to learn. The brook dried up so that Elijah would trust God instead of the brook, the provider, Instead of the provision. If you can't face drying brooks, Elijah, you'll never be able to face the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. What are some of the brooks that may be drying up in your life? Maybe their finances, maybe a business didn't go the way that you thought it would. Could be a relationship, a friendship, and that person just stopped talking to you, and a brook dried up. It could be your health, strength that you used to be able to have to do the things that you wanted to do and now the brook is drying up God's blessings may dwindle down to a trickle and then dry up completely as you just stand and watch there's nothing you can do about it but it's at those times where you learn to trust him move your eyes off your circumstances Look to the one who controls them. God often lets the brooks dry up to help us move to the next place where he wants us to be. that's what happened to Elijah. Look at the next two verses, verses 8 and 9. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman to sustain thee. God said, Arise. Only after the brook dried up. And so the second point here, Elijah learned to trust God in the city of Sidon. He lived close to God at the brook. He spent many hours of silence alone with God. And now he's called to live in a a busy life, in a city. And his life will be a fishbowl. Others will be watching him. In Zarephath, God continues to teach Elijah to trust him. Zarephath was not an ideal place, humanly speaking. The name means a smelting furnace. It was named after the industry that was there. It was a place where metals were refined. And Elijah found it to be a furnace in his own life that God used to melt away the dross and purify the gold that was there. You may, going through, you may be going through fire right now, trials that you don't know why they're there. It may be that God wants to burn away the dross in your life, the dross of self, so that you can be a higher quality metal for him to use. He'll use that furnace of testing to make you rely totally upon him and on him alone. Zarephath was not an ideal location for anyone who stood against the Idolatry of Baal worship. Verse 9: Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon. Zidon or Sidon was uh, uh, politically uh, over Zarephath. They're under that authority. And what do we know already about Sidon? Well, remember Jezebel's father, Ethbaal, he was from Sidon. That was where Baal worship was centered. Jezebel's priests were from Sidon, It was located outside the land of Canaan, 50 miles north of Mount Carmel, a place where the nations of, of those that hated God dwelt. They were heathen. Dr. Lightfoot calls Elijah the first prophet of the Gentiles. In Matthew 16 and verse 4, the disciples were saying that some people thought Christ was Elijah. They probably thought that because the only place that Christ went among the Gentiles outside of Israel and Samaria was Tyre and Sidon. Matthew 15, 21 says it was there that Jesus healed the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. You may wonder what God is doing putting you in a place among a lot of heathen people, pagans, people that don't know Christ, unsaved. You may be there at work. Wondering why nobody else in your employment uh, is able to have a testimony for Christ. Maybe you're in a neighborhood, in a classroom, in a secular university. You may wish to be closer to, to other believers. If God puts you in a place, even if it's not an ideal location, it's because he wants your light to shine brightly in that dark place. Elijah was sustained by a widow. Look at verse 9. I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Again, we have that word there. That's where you need to be, Elijah. If you're not in Zarephath, you're going to miss the widow that I have there that's going to supply the needs that you have. Let's look at Elijah's interaction to the first widow that he meets in Zarephath. It's an amazing lesson in obedient faith. And it will also be very humbling as we, on the surface, see that it seems to be pushy to ask her for food. Consider the request of the prophet, verse 10. He started by asking for water. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she went, he called again and added something to his order. Verse 11. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. How would you ask a widow in a famine to give up her food? We would say it something like, I don't want to impose, but... Some people have explained this by saying that she knew that Elijah was coming, perhaps as Cornelius was told about Peter coming in Acts chapter 10. It may have been. We don't know that. Listen to her answer in verse 12. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruse. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it. And die. The sticks would have been the fuel for the fire. So she told him what she had a barrel and a cruise. And when you think about that, you say, that sounds like a lot. A barrel is a huge thing, right? Well, the word barrel here is simply a clay jar. We don't know its size. But she does call it a handful of meal or crushed grain. Just a handful. That's all she had. And a cruise with oil, the word cruise there is a saucer. It's the fry pan. It's only enough for her and her son. And Elijah gave her a promise from God, verses 13 and 14. Elijah said unto her, fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me therefore a little cake first and bring it unto me and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. First words, fear not. We're living today in a time of great fear. Christians should be dramatically, diametrically opposed to what the world lives like. They're fearful, we should be faithful. We look and see, we see disease, we see illness, we see inflation, we see the erosion of of truth and biblical standards of conservative values. When you trust God, he will take away those fears. Fear of anything or anyone other than God is the enemy of faith. Fear not. And then Elijah said, do what you're planning to do, but make a little cake for me first. Just a little cake. And then make one for you and for your son. And as as he says this, there's a glimpse of a possibility that there would even be enough to do that. Because he's asking. And when God commands us to do something, he always gives us the ability to do it. And so we're obedient. And then comes the promise of, God's, of what God will do in verse 14. You'll have enough from the jar of flour and the saucer of oil to eat until the Lord sends rain and the famine is over. Mustard seed sized faith, that's all it takes. And she responded in that faith, verse 15, and she went and did according to the saying of Elijah and she and he and her house did eat many days. She was willing to believe God. Matthew Henry says, Those that can venture upon the promise of God will make no difficulty of exposing and emptying themselves in his service by giving him his dues out of a little and giving him his part first. The increase of this widow's faith, to such a degree as to enable her thus to deny herself and to depend upon the divine promise was as great a miracle in the kingdom of grace as the increase of her oil was in the kingdom of providence. Happy are those who can thus against hope believe and obey in hope. We know that God provided Matthew 10:41 says, He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And she received a prophet. And she gave him her last meal and a place to live. And God rewarded her with food for herself, for the prophet, for her household. God did what he said he would do. Verse 16, And the barrel of meal wasted not. Neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Again, the word of God can be trusted. What God promises, he will do. Find those promises in God's word. Write them down. Keep a log. Remind him of what he said. God will do what he says. Elijah was blessed through his obedience to God. What if he had said, no, I don't think I want to go there. I don't want to impose on a widow. I'll just do without. Trust God. Obey him. He will repay what you cannot. The barrel of meal and the cruse of oil wasted not. The widow was also a recipient of the blessings, and so was her son, the recipient of God's provisions because of her own obedience and faith. When the Lord puts you in the furnace, he will provide. When the brook dries up, God has thousands of other ways to provide for your needs. We tend to think that he has to work the same way every time. There are no boundaries to the abundance of God's provisions Elijah learned to trust God. God protected him, protected him from Ahab and Jezebel. God provided for him at the brook and at Zarephath. And he'll do the same for you as you trust him and as you're obedient to his word. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, I pray that you would help us to trust you more. And as we read about Elijah and learn of his life, we often think that he was a character so far different than us, but James tells us he was a man of like passions. And what you did for him, you will do for us because of the promises in your word. Help us to be strengthened by this narrative, by this historic event, and may we go forth from this place with a greater trust In an omnipotent God, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.